you, Jesus. Whew, are you well this morning? Like just okay or like really okay or where, where are we at? <laughs> Whew, thank you, Jesus. It's so refreshing to be just reminded of the, the sweetness of his presence, the beauty of his glory, the, the sound of his praise is just, I don't know, I just, I feel like I've always appreciated it, but there's just certain seasons of life and, and ministry and just, I think maybe as we mature in faith that you just start to value more and more the presence, just the fact that God is here with us, like... I mean, he lives in the praises that we lift up. It says that he, he dwells there. He fills that space that we create for him when we just simply acknowledge him, praise him, lift his name up. And uh, it's just, it's so easy to fly through this, this thing called life, isn't it? I mean, I don't know when I figured this out, but maybe you've, beat me to it a long time ago, I don't know, but the faster you try to get stuff done, the faster time goes. Did you ever notice that? Like if you have a ton to do in a day, that day's gone before you even get started. It's just something about the way this life works, that if we don't slow down and we don't pause and we don't appreciate the, the simple beauties of what it is to be a person of faith, that when the world has no faith, we have faith. We we're chosen by the one who is the author and finisher of faith. And he put that little seed of faith in us for us to be able to come to a saving knowledge, which is most important, obviously, to know him as Savior. And yet beyond that, there's a life that begins and a growth that happens. And the more that we grow in the direction of who Jesus is, the more we realize we were truly created for this. That we're not here by accident, as already has been said. We're not here by some cosmic glitch and just by luck, here we are. No, God had a purpose in every life that's in this room, every life that's listening, every life that believes in the Son of God being Jesus Christ and that he took a place on the cross so that we could be free from sin, free from death, delivered into a future that doesn't include just senseless um, existence outside of time but a purposeful future that includes eternity being with him forever and ever outside of time something we can't fully grasp and yet within us there's this joy and excitement that allows us to have light in the middle of a dark time a dark place this planet is only light because the glory of the lord still remains here to some measure but outside of that light of the glory of christ this world is under the sway of the wicked one, under the sway of the prince of darkness. And we've been called out of his kingdom and into the kingdom of the Son of Jesus Christ. And I mean, just the kingdom of the Son of God's love, Jesus Christ. And it's so important that we just pause and reflect. I just was so, just getting into worship, getting into worship, and then my son needed to be held. And so I just holding him for a minute. And it just, just something in me just paused for a minute to realize what in the world we're doing. And it doesn't make sense to someone coming in doesn't know anything about God or they heard about church or you should go there on Sunday. It's what good people do or something. People come to church for many different reasons and we appreciate Sunday mornings because we don't know who's going to show up. 
But the reality is they should walk in and experience some atmosphere that's beyond what they can find in the world simply because he's here with us. He's dwelling in the praises that we're lifting up to him. And it's just a, it was a beautiful moment of just listening, hearing the children obviously is, is, is brilliant and, and just challenged because I don't know about, obviously I'm off script, uh, um, <laughs> it's not unusual. The, the, this, this life just seems to be so packed full of stuff. And especially now that we have, I just think it's so ironic the name that they gave our phones. Smartphones. And I'm like, just sounds like who doesn't want to be smart? Right? I mean, no, that's one of the first insults you learn as a kid. Oh, look at that dummy. If you do something stupid, like dummy. Nobody wants to be dumb. We all want to be smart. Right? It's, a, it's just instinctive to humanity. We, we kind of rise to the level of our ability to figure things out and everybody wants to be the clever person the smart person and we were told that this device would make us smart and the fact is it's made us some estimates are in the thousands of times and depending on how well you can use it tens of thousands of times more intellectually powerful than we were before smartphones became a part of our life eventually they'll be integrated into the human reality and you won't have to carry it with you um, but our intelligence will be measured simply by how much we've downloaded the data that they say is what we're supposed to have, and yet now it's still voluntary, it's on your device, but we all are in a sense connected to a reality that we weren't connected to 20 years ago. We didn't have access to it. If you wanted to know information, you had to go and go to the encyclopedia. Everybody remember encyclopedias? The salesman would come by and be like, hey, you know, your set's five years old. A lot's happened in five years. You really want to upgrade, and we'll, we'll buy your old set back, and we'll give you a new set, right? And you try to buy the expanded version to get extra dictionaries and thesauruses and these little add-ons. It's like buying, well, anyway, Tupperware, I was going to say, but I just date myself if I do that. Um, <laughs> which package, you know, you want, you want the little package, you want to be kind of a, a dummy, or you want the whole encyclopedia so you can really be smart, you know, as if anyone ever read through the encyclopedias, but... Oh, just lost all of my anointing. <laughs> Appreciate you playing on. The team was amazing this morning. They just, the, the way that they work together, I mean, sticks flying out of the drummer's hand. You know it's a good worship set when the drummer's losing his sticks and things are just going flying. But um, back to, you can call it reality, whatever it is, where we are now. Back to here. It's not Kansas, but here. The reality of the information we have access to, we're technically Infin almost infinitely, eventually we will be infinitely smarter than we were without the technology and the access to it. You no longer have to remember just basic things like what you're doing for the day or the week or people's phone numbers. You remember you used to, have to memorize people's phone numbers. <laughs> Incredible. Our smartness, unfortunately, is attached outside of our, ourselves for a while through our, through our devices. And it's, this has been studied. This has been documented. It's not just my ideas. This is the reality of where we're headed as a global species. And one of the great things, I've listened to some great thinkers, and one of the great things that they say we're, 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 we've lost, and there's no, calc there's no way to calculate what's been lost because it'll, it'll be a few generations before this fully plays out. But we have lost the ability to ponder We no longer, it's been, it's been taken from us. Voluntarily, you can't say it's stolen because we gave it, we give it. We still have free will. We can still choose what we do with the thought life. That's why Paul said, take every thought captive. But we've lost the, the and I, I heard that said, and I, I began to do a little looking. This isn't what the message is about today, so anyway, this is, all, this is all bonus. Meditate is the scriptural word for it. 
Meditate. And if you read through Psalms, if you read Joshua 1 and verse 8, it talks about how you know, the, the, we love, I love your law. I will meditate on it day and night. And David just talks in Psalm 119 about how he just he loves the law of the Lord. And in the nighttime, he meditates all the time. He's continually meditating. He's pondering what does it mean to, been, to have been chosen from the masses of the species of people on planet Earth, to have been selected to be called out, to be called God's chosen people, given what the world would say is unfair treatment, unfair favor, unfair grace. Grace is by definition unfair. And to just have all this given to us, but we've lost the, we've lost the part of our lives where we would once hear something good or something meaningful, and we would just save that. And we'd go away, we'd be driving, and we'd be pondering about, man, I wonder what they meant when they said this or when they said that. Because there was some space between people. People were spread out. You had to write a letter and put a stamp on it. You tell kids that now, and they're like, wait, what again? What did you do? <laughs> I mean, it won't be much longer before they just, there won't be that. They won't, there'll be delivery of packages. But everything else will happen, bills. Everything is all going to be done digitally for us in a, in a weird kind of way. And there's nothing wrong with convenience. But listen to what I'm trying to say. And the Holy Spirit just convicted me so strong as I've dug into this. Because we're talking about the word. We're talking about the power of the word. But the word is not something you just hear and you walk away. You have to hear it. And you have to let it by faith. You have to believe it, receive it. And by faith, it goes to work on the inside of you. That happens as David reveals. And I don't, this is a future message, I'm sure. But it just, it just downloaded, I don't know how to say it, but downloaded into my spirit as I was standing there holding my son that we don't know when the last moment of our life is. We don't know. Rich and Diane did such a beautiful uh, had a beautiful presence of the Lord in the class this morning. Just looking at Timothy's letter that he received from Paul, and it was kind of Paul's farewell to the planet and his ministry. And he's just pouring his heart out to Timothy, and, and he's coming to the end of something, and it's just such a special, sacred moment, and he's just sitting there pondering his life, and he's sharing these experiences in written form with someone, and now that's being read by someone and being shared with someone else because it made it into the canon of Scripture. And, and just the realities of the depth of our spiritual roots comes from people who didn't just have a thousand messages they, could, they had to listen to every year so they could stay up with the latest, greatest Christian vibe that's in the culture of Christianity. There are people that just had a very basic, core, primal, primitive message that we were lost. And then a shepherd who goes after any that are lost came and found us and brought us into a fold and brought us in by his grace that he provided for us and established us with a future that goes beyond just the information of this life, but a future that was created by God that no one can comprehend except by the Spirit. You can't even imagine that even angels desire to look into some of the things that God has prepared for those who love him. It'll be greater. People think it's just going to heaven where it is now. No, it's, he's preparing it. It's going to be greater than what the angels already know in heaven. And we can just gloss over that and be like, okay, so what's for lunch? And I'm hungry, so sorry, I let that slip out. Sorry if you didn't get a bagel this morning. We uh, have to up our bagel order. It's great to see folks coming in out of the, you know, it starts to get cold outside and everybody decides to go back to church on Sunday morning. I don't know what that's all about, but we got to get more bagels for you guys. Um, so I'm one of the ones that missed out on a, on a bagel this morning. So, and no, I don't want one if you saved it. If you're one of the reasons we don't have a bagel and you put it in your, no, you can have it. Um, you can keep it. It's okay. No judgment. (laughs) 
I know I've been talking about Peter so much, and I, before we start, and I'm going to just, I think what we're going to do is just going to go through the book of Peter and what he wrote, his letters, because he was charged with feeding the sheep, Jesus' sheep. He charged Peter three times. He said, if you love me, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed those who are of the flock that I've given my life to redeem and to save and to bring to the knowledge of, of, uh, of salvation. And I just... I'm going, to re- I'm going to read this part of Timothy before we start again, because there's a little bit of review. Um, I, I just don't know how we all have, can anybody admit you got to grow? We all need to grow. Has anybody arrived? Oh, someone was just fixing their, their hair. I thought maybe we had one in, in the house today, but we don't. They're just fixing the side of their ear there. So no one's arrived yet. So we've got to grow. And we, we read last week, we read scriptures that show us very clearly that we, we grow by, thereby according to the word that we receive. And, you know, we'll start it in a minute reading Peter to just see what he has to say about it. But there's the essence of what produces growth in us is learning. Not learning the stuff of this world. People have no problem believing that if you want to get somewhere in life in the natural, you need an education. You got to learn. You got to at least learn reading and writing, how to communicate. You got to learn basic things. Some level of math is is very helpful. But in the spirit, sometimes we come to a place of, and you hear it and when people discuss their faith. They discuss their denomination or their background or what they believe about a certain scripture. And they begin to have this dialogue, and it's almost as if they're speaking as if they already know everything. And I'm like, you just proved to me that you're not a student of the word. Because the more you read this thing, the more you realize, I'm just scratching the surface of all that there is to know and to walk out and to experience in this life by faith in Jesus Christ, not according to your own measurement, but in the spirit, we have room to learn and to grow through the pondering, through the meditation, through hearing it and saying, Lord, how does this apply to me? And so in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'll read a scripture. And if I, if I change my notes every time I come to class in the morning and Pastor Rich and Diane share the same thing I was going to share, I would have to just uh, let them preach because it's so much the same. Um, but in chapter 3, verse 12, 2 Timothy, Paul says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from, the, and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures. If you're not aware yet, the Holy Scriptures are under fierce attack, even in a free country. That's the one thing that you're not free to discuss. There's, it's called hate speech, certain parts of the Bible, and those are federal crimes. Those aren't just like, you know, those are going to be tried as if you're a terrorist. They're going at the very foundation of what we believe to be true because we're not dealing with flesh and blood. We're dealing with principalities, powers, spiritual forces of wickedness in high places that know where the battle is actually being fought. And it's fought over the word of God. What is actually true? What's not up for debate? The Bible tells us very clearly. It's a founding document for people of faith. And yet so many people think, well, I... I, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, what else is there really to worry about? And they go back into living by the form of this world, and it's not okay. We're supposed to be perpetually, continually growing into the fullness and the measure and the stature of Jesus Christ. And I don't know, I'm, the more I realize everything that he contained, I realize it's in me in seed form, but I've got growth. I need to grow. I need to grow by the word that's been put in me and continue to just be humble and let myself develop in the way that he wants to develop me. And this is what he says. He says, you've known the Holy Scriptures. And this is what he says about the Holy Scriptures. He says, they're able to make you wise. 
for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. The scriptures and the memorizing and the knowing of the scriptures doesn't, make you, doesn't save you. But what does it do? It is able to make you wise, not according to the wisdom of the world, but according to the wisdom that comes from the Spirit. It's able to make you wise for up to salvation, for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Listen, the message isn't changed here. Scriptures don't replace Jesus Christ. He's the author of what's been written, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it can't get in between the Jews of Jesus. They thought because they had the word, the, the Torah and everything memorized, that somehow they were holy. They were, they had everything they needed just because they knew the written word. But then the word made flesh who dwelt among men came before them and they didn't recognize him. They crucified him. But in the scriptures, it's able to make you wise for salvation. And then it says this, and a lot of times the text starts being read here. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, instruction in righteousness. Instruct, we need instruction. The scriptures instruct us in the way of righteousness. It's, it's just amazing to me. And, and you can get endless people that are in the world's education system. There's no limit to how many doctorates you can get. People spend their whole lives just every year. It's like a goal. I want another PhD on my wall and some other topic. We, people get addicted to this ability to learn and to know more of the things of this world. But when it comes to the spirit, they want just a one, they want a one-line answer for what it is that you believe. And that's all they have time for. But there's, in, there's a lifetime worth of learning to be through the Spirit, through meditation, through the Scripture, to, to all of us so we can grow into the fullness and the measure and the stature of Jesus Christ. It's a growth plan that God has for us who believe. It's not just a one-off check-off-the-box believer and then go back to doing whatever the heck we want to do. You're going to find incredible frustration in, in your Christianity if that's all that it is and if you're not outgrowing the things that are going to try to rob you of faith, which we'll look at in Peter in a minute. It's profitable for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I don't know. There's a lot that's been coming at my life in the last couple of years, and I realize I'm not really equipped for this. Anybody else? Well, you just realize, like, I, I know this needs to be changed. I know this needs to be fixed, whether my faith isn't strong enough, whether I'm not focused, whatever, I'm distracted, whatever is going on within me, the Lord knows, the Spirit knows the inner workings of every single one of us. But you can acknowledge humbly and say, there's something in here that needs to be developed, that needs more equipping, needs to be better prepared for this reality that's now a part of my life. And I think we can all relate to that, but it's through the Word. It says all Scripture is able to make you wise because it's inspired by God. Inspiration means breathed. It's been spoken and recorded. It's breathed, God-breathed words. And if that sort of becomes trivial and we're not pondering and dwelling upon that, best case, you're just not going to grow, which isn't really that best. Um, but it's a case. It's not worst case. But you're just not going to grow. There's certain markers I believe the Lord has for us in our life, and it's usually life experiences and situations that help us to realize, okay, need to outgrow this. Need to get beyond this. And people that stop growing, they quickly become isolated. They become offended about something and they just drift away because they don't have the roots to know what they're founded in and the grace that was available to them through the cross is all they really need to stand upon. And it's just difficult. It's hard to watch these things happen. But this spiritual reality that we are called to be a part of is the information comes from the top down. 
We don't build our way up into heaven. We say, Lord, let heaven come to earth. And he does through his words, through his presence, through his teaching us by the Spirit what it is that he has for us to learn. And so we, I know we spoke about word. We spoke about David and Goliath. We talked about just how fear transitioned over into the Philistine army from the Israelite army through one man's act of faith. Um, there's, there's a lot that we could review on that, but I just want to jump over to, if we don't start soon, it's going to be another one of those weeks where we talk about starting with Peter, but we don't actually jump in and, and, and read what he's got to say. And I'll pause throughout. I'm not, I don't want to do it just like a Bible study where you go verse by verse. There's a great way to study the word. Um, when I have a few minutes on Sunday morning, I, I, I like to preach. I just feel it in my gut. Like I just get excited and I want to do more than just kind of underline words. It's not my primary sentiment on a Sunday morning, but as much as we can, we'll do that. I want to just pray. I don't usually pray when I'm speaking, but I just want to pray. Father, I thank you right now that you, in your word, you make it very plain that the seeing eye and the hearing ear, that you are the one who makes those realities, that it's your spirit that causes uh, words that are just words to suddenly become words of life. For truths that might be invisible to someone just at a glance that somehow we can now see the depth of what it is that you're trying to say. So, Lord, I pray right now that you would reveal to our hearts by the Spirit that whatever it is we need to uncover from your word, whatever it is that will cause us to grow, that you would breathe upon this next few minutes that we have, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that would be teachable and soft. For your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So I've pulled a bunch of pieces of, of uh, what Peter wrote out and used them in different messages. Um, but for now, I just, I just feel I felt today was to start in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and just begin reading. It's cool. There was a time where there was never any, there was no pages turning. And I feel like you start, I'm starting to hear that. And I, I, I know I often use my screen on, on my phone, but it is, it is incredible how quickly we can be distracted from a little notification pops up on the top, and suddenly, if you do take a moment to ponder or meditate on something, you really got to put that thing away, because it's incredible how it quickly draws you into some level of other information that it tells you is important, and that little red dot, did you ever try to like just ignore a little red notification dot on one of your apps when it's closed? You're just like... You know, it's, it's probably just spam or whatever, or it's an email, but maybe it's so important and you just, you just, there's something in us. We want to be up to date with everything. And I just feel like the Lord's calling us to take not a step backwards, but a step to the side and say, Lord, we want to hear from you. We want your word to come alive within us. We want to stand on something that's ancient and unchanging. That's not just fickle and needing to be rediscussed every generation when they decide that there's certain more elements of it that we need to trim out, <laughs> that we need to get rid of for the sake of the betterment of humanity. I'm like, yeah, when you start trimming away the parts of the Bible to try to make a better humanity, um, you know that's the deception of the evil one right there. And so in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, is writing, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. I don't 
historically, I'm not able to find exactly whether Peter dictated what he wrote or if he wrote stuff down himself. It would have been pretty, it's, it's easier to think that he was telling somebody, do you have any inside scoop on that, Rich? What do you think? It's up for grabs, right? One, two, three, shooting, rock, paper, scissors, whatever. But it's a, that's not really the point. The point is, here's a fisherman, untrained, unskilled, unlearned, and he just wrote like something that if you could write that in English class, uh, you're, you'd your professor would probably call you and say, this, I'm looking for a, a run-on, I'm looking for a, you know, don't have a subject, you're missing a, you know, an out-of-place phrase, but it's just, it's just beautiful linguistic reading. It's almost like poetry. And it, just, it all streams together and flows together, and he puts so much in one verse, you could break apart one verse and spend an hour discussing it or more. But that's just his introduction to what he's about to write. And he said, this is who I am. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing, he's writing to people who were dispersed during the persecution that came into Jerusalem, and they fled to all these different areas. And he's writing a letter to just encourage uh, their, their faith. But h- however it is, I, just, I, just, I like the idea that Peter's telling someone who's, who's writing this stuff down, and they're just like, whoa, 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 slow, slow down, slow down. Like, you're, I mean, just to try to make sense of this. It's incredible the way that he puts these big sentences together. And so in verse 3, if you're following in a, in a Bible that has the verses there, it's, it's the beginning of the first thought that Peter wants to present. You know, when you're writing a letter to somebody, you say, hey, how you doing? Good, to, good happy to write this to you. This is who I am. And um, grace to you. Be at peace. And now he's about to start saying what it is that he wants to say. What someone opens with is always important. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's the gospel. You know the gospel, just the gospel, just the, what I just said has the power to make a dead person who has no faith suddenly have faith and suddenly be saved, to leave hell behind and to come into the kingdom of heaven. It's the power of what we believe. It's the power of what the Bible has embedded within it in the message of the gospel. It's just what it is. He says, he has abundance of mercy. He brought us into a place of having a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There were people that were raised from the dead previous. If you read the Old Testament, some of the prophets, but they were not sinless and they were not perfect. Oh, man. I just want to read this. I don't want to preach yet. Oh, there it is. Uh, The veil was torn. What Jesus did on the cross and what happened in the cosmic spiritual reality that we have access to only by faith and by revelation, where he lived by the spirit, the creator of all spirits, angels, demons, all of it was created by him. And he hangs on a cross voluntarily sinless, accused of being a blasphemer, which is saying too much about yourself, making yourself to be godly or godlike or God speaking for God. All these things were considered sins of blasphemy. And in the Jewish day, you were killed for that. They didn't tolerate this stuff. That's why he was grilled by Pilate. Are you the son of, are you a king? Are you, say something about yourself. And he just yeah, it's pretty much what you said. That's about, it's about the best that he gives to Pilate. Is like, yeah, pretty much what you said. That's, that's it. 
As a sheep before the shears is silent, Jesus goes to the cross, not opening his mouth to defend himself, not saying, hey, wait, you got the wrong guy. I'm actually perfect. Go ahead, grill me. Find one place where I messed up. Challenge me. No, he's just quiet. He goes there. He hangs on the cross. He goes into the grave. The reality of what happened at the, at the cross, it's, it's beyond natural understanding to grasp it. You can only receive the revelation and the significance of it by the Spirit. Even the Spirit rulers of the day didn't realize what they were doing when Jesus hung on the cross and said, it's finished, and he passed from this life into the next one. They didn't know because the word's very clear. If they knew what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory because they just basically put a noose around their own neck and signed their own death warrant as soon as they executed a sinless human being. And it had never happened before where a sinless person on earth passed especially one who was falsely accused and was tried as a sinner, even though he was sinless. Something happened. I don't know where it's written. I don't know that the Bible tells us what book in the library of God it was written in. But someplace there is an ancient writing that says what happens if an innocent, sinless person is executed in a traitor's stance. That's what happened. And we get, all, we get crazy about the resurrection. It's so powerful that someone can come back to life. But the veil was torn as soon as... As he had breathed his last, he broke the door down on the way in. Just kind of, I'd always thought Easter morning, you know, it's like, boom, here I am. The veil's torn and he comes out. No, it was, it was severed. What separated man from God so that the holiness of God would not consume man. That thing was torn as soon as Jesus was falsely accused executed and died and breathed his last suddenly something cracked in the spiritual realm it says the sky was dark the earth shook rocks began to split the roman guard said truly this was the son of god because the earth responded to the injustice that happened to a sinless person who was taking a substitutionary stance on a cross that was meant for every single one of us in this room that's why when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live. He didn't go on a cross. He just by faith said, I am going to attach myself to what Jesus has provided when he stood and took that place on that cross and stayed until it was finished. It broke the most essential law that this planet was ever under the curse of. It's called the curse of the law of sin, and then you die. And Romans 8 makes it very clear. We now have a new law that we operate under for those who believe. It's called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. This is a death to life story. This is not some get a better, a more favorable life experience here on earth. It's the reality that you don't have to be bound by a life that lives until it's done here and then just goes into a hole in the ground and decomposes for the rest of eternity separated from the one who created you. Now there's a possibility for you to be reunited. As Peter begins to write this message, he starts right at the beginning of why we even have a message to preach. He doesn't start in the manger. He doesn't start in Christmas, which I love Christmas. He goes right to the throat of what's happening for people who claim to be of, of faith. He said he was so merciful. We didn't deserve it. But he brought us to a place where we now have a hope that's alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
He's writing as a person who had experienced some things that we would, what would you pay to be able to go and watch Jesus pull Lazarus out of the grave? I mean, any, I just would love to be there in the crowd that day, to, to see and to be there, and to, to witness. The, he's witnessing all these things, and he's like, guys, there's more to the story than just what we saw. What we saw revealed who Jesus was, but who Jesus was and what he provided for us is connected to this inheritance concept. Inheritance means somebody's dying. Inheritance isn't when you're born, it's when you die. It's when people die and they leave things behind. Jesus has left an inheritance for us, but it's not just for this life that we're in now. It's an inheritance that Peter says it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, and he even clarifies and says it's not, it's not going to fade away, and he says where it is. He says it's reserved in heaven for you. I fully believe we can access that now by faith. But I also know in the core of who I am, and you can never talk me out of it, that not a single person is going to get there and be like, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit showed me. This is, this is what to expect. Full of it. You're full of it. You're imagining things. When Paul caught a glimpse of it, he, he came back and he said, what I saw I can't even put into words. It's not lawful for men to even speak words that are uttered in this place. I don't know what that even means. <laughs> it's illegal. It's just beyond our natural earth experience. That's why we're called people of faith. We're not people of this world. We have a living hope that goes beyond the end of this life. Our inheritance is not just something that's, we've got to quickly use it all up before it's gone, before our time's up. It's not that kind of, that's natural inheritance. That's the stuff that people think is where it's all at. And Peter's like, there's an inheritance and it's laid up in heaven, reserved in heaven for you. Then he says this, he says in verse 5, Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're being saved. And oh yes, we will someday be saved into the salvation that Peter's talking about here. He says in the last time. Yes, we tap it now by faith. We absolutely do. We have healing. We have deliverance. We have the dead raised. We have demons evicted from people's bodies. We have all this stuff, but there is still a, a reserved piece of what he's prepared for us. It's not fading away. It's not defiled. It's not ever going to corrode. It's there reserved for us. And then in verse 6, he says, in this... You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, it may be found to praise and to honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers who already believe. He's writing to the pilgrims. He's writing to those who left Jerusalem, but they're on a journey of faith. He says this in verse 8. Whom having not seen, you love. Peter got to see him. He's writing to people who are younger. They didn't have the privilege of walking alongside and seeing what Jesus did and ministering with him. But he's like, he just skips all that. It's not even important. By faith, we can still connect to who Jesus is. He says, you've not seen him and yet you love him. Though now you don't see him, yet you believe and you rejoice with joy. That's inexpressible and it's full of glory. It's no less of a celebration that's happening in the spirit of those of us who are born again than what happened that day when Lazarus came out of the tomb. 
By faith in the spirit of who we are, the eternal part of us that, that's been deposited within us is just as excited, is just as ready to celebrate, even though we're not physically seeing Jesus here this morning. We still get excited. There's still glorious moments in his presence. Then he says this in verse 9. It's inexpressible. It's full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're being saved. And yes, we will be saved. People want to pick just one of those and say, this is where it's all at. No, there's more to it than that. Read the full counsel of God's word. We were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. <laughs> and there's something, he says, the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. There's some mystery. I don't read the Bible to try to unpackage every single phrase and every single mystery that's here. I just read it to find what the Lord wants my heart to receive in that reading through. And the next time you read it through, you might find something completely uh, different that you missed the first time. And in verse 10, he says this. He says, of this salvation, the prophets who inquired and have inquired and they've searched carefully, those who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, the Messiah, and the glories that would follow. To them, speaking of the prophets of old, it was revealed not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you. Through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Well, there's, a, there's a lot in there. Do you, you get the gist of what he's saying. That prophets foretold of a time when there would be Messiah, that he would suffer in details. Isaiah, Psalms, many of the Old Testament scriptures specifically say exactly how Messiah, would, when he would appear, what he would look like, how he would be treated, what he would accomplish, where it would happen, when it would happen. These things were all recorded. Daniel the prophet Daniel, the book of Daniel, you can read through that there wasn't this surprise when Jesus shows up to the Jews. Like, oh, no, they were looking for Messiah. They were waiting for Messiah. In fact, they had a history of false starting and claiming different people as Messiah before Jesus showed up. And it was easy for them to discredit Jesus after the resurrection. He said, oh, he's just another one of these that remember what happened to so-and-so and what happened to so-and-so. Because they were looking for Messiah. They wanted to be saved. They wanted to be redeemed and brought out from the Roman oppression of the day, and yet Jesus came to do something so much greater than that, to give an incorruptible inheritance to their life and to their future. So let's go to verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We may not get much past this scripture this morning. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Read it one more time. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully. Fully. Upon what? The grace. The grace that is found through what Jesus Christ did. 
on that cross. Ephesians 2, and Paul echoes this same reality. He says in verse 8 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. By grace you've been saved through your ability to believe in that grace as all that was required. He said it wasn't of yourselves. That's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Again, this isn't something that you can study yourself into. It's something that once you accept it by faith, you now begin the process of divine download for the rest of your life of the truth of what it is to grow into the fullness of what God's prepared for your life rather than what the world would love to have prepared you for. Fully. Fully. Do you ever trust someone fully? It's almost impossible to do. It's kind of an oxymoron of sorts. People say they do, but we're all human. And humans, even with the best intentions, can have weaknesses. You can hurt people. You can let people down. It's hard to point to anything that you actually trust fully in this life. Do you trust a rope fully? Probably depends kind of what the rope's hanging over top of. I see people do crazy stuff over like Victoria Falls. There's the biggest rope swing apparently on the gorge swing over in, uh, in Zambia and the border of Zimbabwe. And they're just going like 400 feet down across the water and up the other side. Like you can barely see this little speck over there hanging on a rope. Like they, they can do it. It's fine. I might trust a rope fully if it just means I'm kind of like, you know, going to hang on it. It's like this thing's going to hold and you test it a little bit. That's, but how much in this life do we really trust fully. It's hard to find one thing that you really trust fully. Peter says, think, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. He's almost back to what I was saying. Just pull it all in. Gird up means to kind of bring it in. Meditate, focus, whatever you want to call it, in a clear state of thinking. Process the information that I'm about to say. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that's to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If your confidence is in anything other than the grace of Jesus Christ, I don't care how great you are, how wonderful uh, people speak of you, it won't be enough. You're not sinless. It took a sinless person to see the veil and the temple, the obstruction between holy God and sinful man to be removed and to be broken down. Our best intentions, our best service to the king, all these things are important and we should do them all. But if you think and your hope is that, oh man, I just hope, and it's connected to your salvation, you're not, your hope's not fully on the grace that's been brought to you and that's going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have to process this sometimes. We've got to just pause for a minute and say, Lord, what am I trusting in? Have I even processed lately what am I trusting in? What am I resting my hope fully in? Just questions, just things for us to ponder, to reflect upon, to tune out the rest of the voices for a little while, enough to be able to come to a place where we can honestly say, yeah, it's got to be that. If it's not his grace, there's nothing else. It's amazing. I know how deep this runs. There's this secret little part of us that all thinks, well, I just think I've been pretty good. I think I'll be okay. I think you're not resting your, <laughs> you're not resting your hope fully on his grace and what he's accomplished on that cross. 
kind of shift into another context after this next verse, so we'll save that for next week. But I just this morning, I feel called to just challenge us all. What are we reflecting upon? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of a good report? Paul said, think on these things. How hard is it to do that when most of what pops up in our life through this access that's made us, let's say, 10,000 times more accessible to knowledge, what has it taken from us? What is it taking from us on a daily basis? Is it taking from us that solid confidence that we can put fully on the grace that Jesus Christ has made available to us? Or is it something else? Is it someone else? People who get embittered and self-focused and injured, often it's just that they don't understand grace yet. They haven't experienced it for themselves, so how can they offer it to anybody else? We've got to find grace for all these things. And you can't produce grace. You don't have it except that you've received it. That's why it says clearly, freely you receive, so freely give. If you haven't received it, let's just stand together this morning. If you haven't, if you haven't received it, how can you give it? Jesus, this morning, we just, we're humbled by what you've accomplished. We're humbled by the fact that until you went into the grave, that was a one-way street. People go in, but they don't come out until you, Jesus, until you. <laughs> Just reminded, the angel tells them as they go there looking for Jesus, he's like, why do you look for the living among the dead? <laughs> what a weird question. That's what you go to a cemetery for, isn't it? to see where someone who's dead is buried and their marker is there and you bring a flower or whatever else. Many people have, you know, they can imagine they can speak to the person because they know this is where their physical body was and they have conversations with the dead there. And the angel says to, I think it was the ladies, I'd have to go back and look. He says, why, why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus, this morning, we're just standing in awe of what it was that you did. That you called yourself the firstborn of many who would be born in the same way. Born again, not of the will of men and desires of humanity, but born of an intentional heart in the Father who sent his own Son, your Son, was sent, Lord, so that we could experience a new birth, a birth that's spiritual in nature, that allows us to live a life that's no longer under a law called sin and death, but a law called the spirit of life, found only in Jesus Christ. Lord, as you came forth from that place of death, we know that you took the keys with you. We know that you have taken death prisoner death was arrested and our lives began 
because of what was accomplished on that cross. Lord, I pray that you'd just slow our lives down enough this week that we could ponder and reflect on that simple reality. Instead of trying to find the next great thing and great revelation that we want to find in our life, what if we could just grasp for a moment, an eternal moment, the reality of what's been accomplished for us, Lord. That we were once without hope, but now we have a living hope. That we were once without mercy, but now you have shown us great mercy. We were once judged and condemned, but you showed grace to us, Lord, and you blessed our lives in ways that we may not fully know this side of eternity, but when we get there, we'll see what you've reserved. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. Lord, we know you've called us to do a great work here on earth, that it will be your strength that accomplishes it, and we're not to just be complacent, but Lord, at the end of the day, it will be fully your grace that has brought us to the place you've prepared. Lord, we're humbled this morning to just know that we were loved with that kind of love that we could have never deserved, that we could have never earned, and yet Peter says, the first thing he says about you is that you're rich in mercy. Lord, we know how he needed your mercy, and we know that we all need your mercy. Lord, we deserve certain things because of the ways we've been in our lives, and yet you took the punishment due to those things, and you took it upon yourself on that cross, Lord, and we don't ever want to minimize that or just gloss over that as if it's something that's insignificant, Lord, or doesn't matter because it happened so long ago. Lord, today I pray afresh that you would just grab our hearts, grasp a hold of us, Jesus. Impart within us this faith that's needed to be able to rest our hope fully on the grace that Jesus had to just have more free, free time in our minds to be able to just think about you, to contemplate your love for us, to contemplate, to meditate upon your word. Lord, I pray for that hunger, that we would truly be those who hunger and thirst for your righteousness your promises, you'd fill us. Lord, we go out of this place reminded that we're here on this earth to give, to serve, not to be served, and not to take, but to give and to serve others with the same attitude that was found in you. And so, Lord, whether it's where we go to eat or whether we go to shop or the people that we're with this afternoon, Lord, I pray that we would be those who would give freely of the goodness that's been placed within us in a world that's just focused on what they can get. We want to be those focused on what can we give because you've given us such a beautiful life and a blessed life, and we could have never earned it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. amen. If you need prayer this morning for anything at all, please come to the front. It's where we can easily pray for you. Greet somebody, find someone you don't recognize, and please say hello. I think you can do it. God bless you.